project imagined and realized by Iowa City resident Kristen Noonan. That's me. Hey, I locate my selections on the World Wide Web, and you can too. It's all free. So thank you kindly to the University of Northern Iowa's Rob Library, who have assembled a comprehensive Iowa historical newspaper index on their website. Digitization efforts for the newspapers have been completed by outside organizations. Libraries rule. It's another day and I'm glad you're here. Welcome to January 1st on Iowa's Newsworthy Past. Our first stop on this day in history will be in Fort Dodge, Iowa, in the Fort Dodge Republican newspaper on January 1st, 1861. I'm your host, Kristen Noonan. It's a pleasure to be your guide today. Let's roll. We are but 32. South Carolina has placed herself beyond the pale of the American Union. She is no longer a sister of the Confederacy, but, by her own act, has assumed a separate independence. That she will be followed by others of her sister's slave states, there seems little doubt. The question which every true patriot is asking himself is, where will this thing end? What will become of this model government? We are in the midst of a revolution, and there is no blinking it. One of the sisterhood of states has severed her connection with the others. We are but 32. So far as South Carolina is concerned, we say, let her go and make her stay. But if the other slave states prepare to go, what then? Certain concessions from the North are demanded, and such as would compel an entire abandonment of principle. They cannot be granted. The sentiment of the North, endorsed by an overwhelming majority at the ballot box, is hostile to the further spread of slavery, and any abandonment of this position will never be granted, never. We tremble at the thought of a dissolution of this union, for we believe that no satisfactory settlement of the difficulties which would, which would environ such an event are possible, short of civil war. Yet, we should dare all this rather than submit to that which we believed to be wrong. The secession of South Carolina has been so long expected that the occurrence creates but little surprise. Processions were formed and guns fired in several of the southern cities in honor of the event. The action of this state is held by the best men of the nation to be the rankest treason, yet the chief magistrate of government refuses to discharge his duty. Petitions are in circulation throughout the North beseeching Buchanan to resign, in the hope that Breckinridge would meet this rebellion as Jackson met the nullification movement in 1832. 
It is impossible to foretell the result of all this, and we shall have to await future events. In the meantime, let us hope for the best. Town and Country Items The Board of Supervisors will hold their first meeting on Monday the 7th of January. Our office will hereafter be found in the basement of Sherman's Block, entrance south side. Snow fell to the depth of 8 inches in this vicinity a few days since and we are now having magnificent slaying. Eclectic Magazine We direct the special attention of our readers to the prospectus of this excellent monthly. It ranks among the very best magazines published in this or any other country. Game It is said that elk and deer are quite plenty in the vicinity of Fort Dodge. Won't some friend supply the Republican office with a saddle of venison? The House and Farm Our readers will find a column of interesting matter on the fourth page of this week's paper under the above head. We intend to make this a feature in the future numbers of the Republican. Last Chance Mr. Douglas desires us to say that he will remain in Fort Dodge but one week longer, and in this connection we would respectfully represent to our readers that if any of them want a good likeness, now is their chance. A word to the wise is sufficient. To Township Officers Justices of the Peace, Township Clerks, and members of the Board of Supervisors can be supplied with all the laws now in force in relation to their duties and the duties of all township officers by calling at my office. W.N. Messervy, County Judge. A Happy New Year. To our patrons, one and all, we wish a, ha we wish a Happy New Year. We hope the coming year may be freighted with a thousand blessings for you all that peace, plenty, and happiness may throng your pathway, and that in the midst of your fullness you will remember the printer. Enterprising. We learn that some dozen or twelve of our Republican friends are canvassing our town and vicinity for the purpose of securing the autographs of the Republicans to send to the patent office in Washington City as in as curiosities, we repel any such insinu insinuation as that they are appliance for the post office, applicants for the post office. The Bernhardt House has changed landlords. Mr. E. H. Albee, retiring, and Mr. Alpha Gardner, recently of Dayton, in this county, taking possession. Mr. Gardner has the reputation of being well qualified for the difficult position of landlord and will no doubt make the Bernhardt a pleasant home to all his guests. Wood. We need wood at this office and why those who promise to supply us or rather ask the privilege of paying their subscription in wood do not bring it in now during the splendid sling surprises us 
Those who want to see the Republican prosper and make its regular visits to their fireside must at least make good their promises. Friends don't want on each other. Friends don't wait on each other, but do your separate and individual duty. The poor. We are informed that there are one or two families in our town in very destitute circumstances, real objects of charity. To supply such with necessaries of life should be the impulse of every citizen. We should have a society organized immediately to take charge of all such matters so that all cases needing assistance could be examined and the donations judiciously distributed. Who will take hold of this matter and push it forward? Omitted. Our readers are perhaps as well aware as we that the issue of the Republican was omitted last week. Our patrons will lose nothing by the omission as we shall give them all the numbers they are entitled to. Since our last issue, we have moved our office from the old stand to the basement rooms of the same building, where we shall issue the Republican regularly each week. The change is an advantageous one, as we now have two rooms instead of one. We hope to see our friends frequently at our new quarters. Entrance South Side. Timber. We direct attention to the card of the Dubuque and Sioux City Railroad Company in our advertising columns. Railroad. We understand that the Dubuque and Sioux City Railroad is completed to Waterloo and that passenger and freight trains are now running regularly to that point. Republican Job Office We refer the reader to the advertisement of the Republican printing establishment in this week's issue. It is well known that the job department of our office is unequaled by any other in northwestern Iowa. We can execute work which we defy any office north of the capital to excel. In addition to our ability to do all work in the highest style of the art, we have reduced the rates for work very materially. This is done in view of the hard times, and we hope to be able to satisfy all of the reasonableness of our terms. We make it a point to do all work promptly and to disappoint no one. We solicit orders from all parties in need of work in our line. The Donation Party The donation party at the Methodist Church for the benefit of Reverend Tom Thomas Thompson last Thursday evening was a very pleasant affair. The night was a very disagreeable one, but notwithstanding this drawback, the attendance was quite large. The number of persons present we judged to have been not less than 150, a majority of whom were ladies. The earlier portion of the evening was spent in pleasant conversation and in listening to some very fine music furnished by several ladies and gentlemen of the place and for which they deserve the thanks of all present. At a little after nine o'clock supper was announced. The table was arranged very tastefully and literally loaded with different kinds of choice eatables which is it, it is unnecessary to say we were properly appreciated. After supper, Reverend Mr. Thompson thanked the assemblage for their attendance and donations. Brief but appropriate remarks were made by Elder 
Holmes, and Reverend Mr. Taylor. Prayer was offered by Reverend Mr. Holmes, and at about half past ten o'clock the company broke up and left for their homes. The amount contributed was about $60, of which some $15 was in money. Altogether, we think this party was one of the pleasantest gatherings of the kind we ever attended, and the Committee of Arrangements deserve much praise for the manner in which it was conducted. Exports from New York the export from New York for the week ending on the 1st amounted to $1 million more than for the corresponding period of last year. Since January 1st, the total foots up $95,587,800, which is over 30 millions in excess of the same period in 1859 and 49 millions larger than in the corresponding period of 1858. And now from the Fort Dodge Messenger Newspapers, January 1st, 1897 issue. That Dread Hog Cholera. The destructive work in and around Webster County, Herman Ogg and Ernest Dogan fined for not complying with the requirements of the law. In Clay Township last week, there was enacted a little drama in which Justice Peter Larson acted as the star and Herman Ogg and Ernest Botkin played minor parts. The case was one of the state of Iowa against Ogg and Botkin. Defendants were accused of negligence in the proper disposition of diseased hogs. It seemed they had hauled them over the highway after they were dead instead of burning or burying them, as the law requires. The court imposed the minimum fine of $5 and ordered the hogs in their possession to be burned. Too much caution cannot be taken by farmers in preventing the unnecessary spread of this deadly disease. There is a law to this effect, but the law is too often ignored. Farmers become careless the necessary precautions are not taken, and thus the cholera is allowed to spread. In Chapter 58 of the 26th General Assembly, there appears the following as to what disposition should be made of diseased hogs. Be it enacted by the General Assembly of the State of Iowa, Section 1, that Sections 1, 2, and 3, Chapter 79 of the Acts, of the 21st General Assembly as amended by Chapter 67 of the Acts of the 22nd General Assembly be and the same are hereby repealed and the following enacted in lieu thereof. Section 2. That it shall be the duty of the owner or persons having charge of any swine or having knowledge of their dying and upon its pointing to his knowledge that any of such swine have died of, or have been slaughtered on account of any disease, to immediately burn or bury three feet below the surface the same. Section 3. No persons shall soil or give away or offer for sale any swine that have died of any disease or have been killed on account of any disease. Section 4. No person shall convey upon or along any public highway 
or other public ground or any private land except his own any diseased swine or swine that have died of or have been slaughtered on account of any disease and upon the trial of every information for violation of the provisions of this section the proof that any person has hauled or is hauling dead swine from a neighborhood in which swine have been dying or are at the time dying from any disease shall be received and acted upon by the court as presumptive evidence that such swine have been hauled or are being hauled in violation of this section section 5 it shall be unlawful for any person negligently or willfully to allow his hogs or those under his control afflicted with any disease to escape his control or run at large section 6 any persons convicted of a violation of this act shall be fined in any sum not less than five nor more than one hundred dollars or by imprisonment in the county jail not to exceed thirty days or by both fine and imprisonment approved may 2nd 1806 webster county has already had fearful losses from this disease but it is now spreading and it should be checked at once the counties surrounding webster according to the recent reports have a much greater percent of loss from cholera the percent of losses in webster county is 28 in humboldt on the north there is 31 percent calhoun on the west 77 on the south green and boone have 49 and 62 respectively and on the east hamilton has 55 and Wright 66 in the last tier of counties in the northeast part of the state the percent of lost runs from 2 to 10 while in the south part of the state it runs as high as 44. calhoun which is just west of webster has the largest percent in the state it being 77. By these figures, it may be seen that while Webster is not in so bad a condition as some of the other counties, it needs to take every precaution possible. Farmers are warned and requested to comply with the law and do all in their power to check the spread of this plague. Our next stop is at the Fort Dodge Messenger newspaper on January 1st, 1906. Popular Band Concert Sunday. 58th Regiment Band will give several Sunday concerts at Armory this winter. Popular priced concerts. Concerts will start at about two weeks, in about two weeks. Excellent music will be rendered at each concert and the best available talent be obtained. The management of the 56th Regiment Band today announced that an innovation in the entertainment line will be started in Fort Dodge sometime this month. The band will give popular musical concerts at the Armory on Sunday afternoons. The concerts will not number over two a month, but each will be well worth hearing. The music given at each concert will be such as appeal to the people. Besides the band selections, there will be vocal as well as instrumental solos and duets each Sunday. The best available talent in Fort Dodge, as well as from surrounding cities, will be obtained for these concerts, and the management tends to make them very popular with the public. 
There will be an admission charge, but it will be very low. The maximum price being considered is 15 cents. The plan is to make the concert an entertainment, which will appeal to all and to make the public consider the armory the best place to send, spend Sunday afternoon. As far as possible, the concerts will not conflict with the YMCA Opera House meetings. With the class of music which will be given at these concerts, the Sunday afternoon musicals doubtless will become very popular. During the summer months, Sunday concerts were given at the park, and these will be the first indoor su Sunday concerts in this city. Insane juror sat. Many cases will have to be retried at Council Bluffs. 20 or more verdicts returned at a recent term of the Potawatomi County District Court may be set aside because of the fact that William Mack one of the jurors who returned them has been adjudged insane. Mac was taken to a hospital a week ago, suffering from violent dementia, and is still in that condition. He imagines that water is rising all around him, that trains are seeking to run him down from every side, and that crowds of people rush into his room to trample him under their feet. Attorneys on the losing side of cases expect to move for new trials on the ground that Mac was more or less unbalanced during the court term. His friends, however, claim that his present state of mind is due to illness, which developed only two weeks ago. The Police Raid Disorderly Resort Three men and two women captured in barbershop on South 6th Street Two of them contest case, found guilty and appeal to higher court. Others enter pleas of guilty and are fined $10 and costs each. Policemen White, Nicholson, Nicholson, and Murphy raided a resort in a barber shop on South 6th Street last night and captured three men and two women. One of the women gave a cash bond for her appearance this morning and the others were taken to jail. Two plead guilty. When the quartet was arraigned in police court this morning, two of their member, Charles Aisley and Ray Pigman, entered pleas of guilty and were fined $10, and in default of which they were sent to jail. The woman who had put up the bond failed to appear and it was later learned that she had gone to Mason City on a night train. Marie Frazier and Peter J. Dress pleaded not guilty and secured attorney Chantland for their defense. Officers on stand. Officers Nicholson and White, who took part in the raid, were put on the stand. They testified to having heard that women and men of ill repute were making a habit of congregating in the shop at night after closing hours and set out last night to watch the place. Their suspicions were confirmed by the sounds of carousing and disorder inside. Policeman White was stationed at the front door and the others went to the rear and demanded admittance. This was refused and the door was broken open with the result of that the persons mentioned above were found inside. Women's trial continued. 
On this evidence, Dress was found guilty and fined $25 and costs. Notice of appeal was at one filed by attorney Chantland. The trial of the woman, Marie Frazier, was continued until tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Our next stop is the Lee Valley Argus newspaper from January 1st, 1920. Americanization work. Patriots among the Disciples of Christ, otherwise known as the Christian Church or Christian Brotherhood, have inaugurated a drive for $25 million to be applied to an extensive plan of practical Americanization. The principle which has been followed in the Americanization work of the Disciples of Christ through the International Christian Missionary Association for the past seven years is that any group can, be, can best be influenced by persons of their own nationality. Christian Americanization work has been carried on among Russians, Greeks, Syrians, Danes, Swedes, and Norwegians by workers from these nationalities who have been trained in the Disciples College. These graduates are fitted to go back to their own people to interpret to them the best message of Christian America and to assist them in adapting themselves to American institutions. The plan of the movement calls for the establishing among emigrants of educational, social, benevolent, and missionary work which will be carried on by those who know the feelings and problems of immigrant peoples themselves. Instead of approaching the immigrants through strangers, which is an expensive and uncertain method, the Americanization work of the Disciples of Christ will proceed by training trustworthy representatives of various nationalities. Thus the work will be most acceptable to the foreign peoples and also largely self-propagated. The association, realizing the menace of Bolshevism and attendant disruption of American institutions, is working with the idea in view that unless some good influence is exerted over the foreigner immediately upon his arrival in this country, he is easy prey for radical agitators and others who would subject him to exploitation. The experiences of the past seven years has shown that such work can be carried on with a minimum of expense and a maximum of accomplishment by selecting the best and most reliable of the immigrant young men and women, giving them a thorough training and a training and sending them back to work as representatives of Christian Americanization among their own people. It is the aim of the Christian Americanization movement to establish an Americanization club in every Christian Brotherhood church to aid in the campaign. Reverend J.S. McCollum of Seattle, Washington is president of the association and Judge M.C. Tift of Minneapolis, Minnesota is treasurer Mr. Garrett, Clerk of the Supreme Court of Iowa, and Reverend Byrnes of Ames, Iowa, are members of the Board of Directors. A meeting is to be held within the next two or three weeks at some central point in northern Iowa, probably at Fort Dodge. 
of the ministers and lay members of the churches in this section, at which time an attractive program will be put on with some of the teachers from Minneapolis and some of those whom they have already graduated pre present to tell you of the great work that is being done and the outlook for the future. This is the greatest question now before the American people, and you should not miss any opportunity to learn what is being done to solve the problem and to contribute your share of support to make America safe for Americans and for Christ. Hold up Benson Bank. Last evening's papers tell of a bold robbery from the Farmers and Merchants Bank at Benson yesterday when the officials and customers in the bank at the time were held up by four unmasked men and $15,000 in money and $100,000 in Liberty Bonds and negotiable paper were taken. The four men made their appearance shortly before noon and the six employees of the bank and the five customers who were in the building at the time were lined up by two of the men while the other two secured the paper and money. After the robbery had been committed, the employees and the customers of the bank were forced into the vault where they were locked in. The robbers entered an automobile and drove toward Omaha. <clears throat> telephone call to the N.H. Tyson, who is president of the Bank of Benson, conveys the information that no trace had been found so far of those who held up the other bank of that suburb of Omaha. Mr. Tyson stated that the Farmers and Merchants Bank carried burglar insurance and that practically the entire loss will be covered by insurance. No alarm was sounded, and the hold-up men did not attract any attention so that their capture is doubted. It was surely a bold piece of work. Lad breaks leg coasting. Robert, the five-year-old son of Mr. and Mrs. Howard Daniels, had the misfortune to break his leg while coasting down the hill Christmas evening. Several of the small lads were coasting down the hill and Robert was struck by a sled which followed him too closely with the result that his leg was broken. Dr. Kiesling was called and the lad was taken to Fort Dodge where an x-ray picture was taken of the break. It was not a bad break and the fracture was reduced and the lad is now getting along fine. Booze is dumped. Deputy Sheriff McDaniels and County Attorney Gabrielson were down from Fort Dodge Monday morning and assisted in the legal destruction of the 21 barrels of wine taken some time ago by Marshal Longstaff and the county authorities from the Italians living in South Lehigh. Some of the former owners of the wine appeared at the council rooms Monday morning to insist that this wine be returned to them but after the law was read to them through an interpreter, they decided they did not care to make further effort to secure the wine and gave the officers authority to have it destroyed. Marshal Longstaff officiated at the services and no delay was made in rolling the barrels to the river's bank and the heads were knocked in and the contents washed its way down the bank to the river below. 
This wine represented hundreds of dollars spent in securing the grapes from California. It also represents thousands of drunks prevented. It means days and days of work that will be done by men who when under its influence cannot fill their place in the marts of labor. It means, oh well, we could continue this at length, but in short, its destruction means more health, more wealth, more happiness. It also means another thing, and that is that the foreigners who persist in thinking America is like the country from which they came have learned different, and no matter how much they may insist that their rights are being trampled on, American citizenship is being protected and American laws upheld. Some of the wine destroyed contained as high as 10% alcohol, and to those not accustomed to drinking it was vile to taste and would make the user deadly drunk. We hope and believe the destruction of this liquor will do away with a nuisance with which during the past few years has been steadily growing worse. Our next stop is in Algona, Iowa, in the Cossuth County Advance newspaper on January 1st, 1931. Two men, same names, one blaze, firemen confused. Fire a week ago, Tuesday, burned a small hole in the George St. John house on West Call Street, three blocks west of the jail. There are two George St. Johns in Algona, and one of them, clerking at the Moe and Sejoran grocery store, is in the fire department. The telephone company phones firemen of fires, and when the operator called Moe's Mo and Sejourns, she told Mr. St. John his own house, his own house, was on fire. He rushed home as fast as he could run, but found it was the other George St. John's house that was ablaze. The fire trucks also went to the wrong house at first, but discovered the error and proceeded to the right place. Women who lost foot in accident sues car owner. Notice of a damage suit for $22,000 was filed in district court Tuesday by Gusta Mucky against Henry Clucky. The petition has not been filed. The suit is the result of an accident which occurred October 3rd, three miles south of Algona, in which six women, all passengers in a car, were injured. Mrs. Mucky suffered a crushed foot which had to be amputated at the ankle. The women were on their way to Fort Dodge to spend the day and had borrowed Mr. Clucky's car. Mrs. Charles Runchy was driving and was accompanied by her mother, Mrs. Lottie Smith, Mrs. Georgia Willie, Algona, the latter's daughter, Mrs. Nettie Glintz of Colorado, Mrs. James Phillips, Algona, and Mrs. Mucky. Details of the charges are given in the petition which has not been filed. E.C. McMahon is local attorney for Mrs. Mucky. Algona youth arrested on Minnesota girls' charges. George Jennings, Algona youth, was arrested by Sheriff Harvey Monday 
for Warren, Minnesota officers who hold a warrant for his arrest on a charge concerning the paternity of a child. Jennings had worked in a gravel crew in the neighborhood of Warren in northwestern Minnesota. It is understood that the officers from Warren are coming for him and that he will waive extradition. He denies the charge. Want ads. Lost. Cameo pin. Call at M&M Sandwich Shop. For rent. Room in Modern House. Call advance. For rent. Light housekeeping rooms. Six room modern houses for rent. Dr. F. L. Tribon. Five room modern bungalow for rent. Dr. Tribon. Married man wants work on farm. Call advance. Want to buy two Hampshire boars. H.A. Bates. Partly modern house for rent. Inquire Mrs. J.A. Lang. For sale, one bronze turkey, Tom. William Fitzgerald. For rent, housekeeping rooms, 405 South Worcester. Found, two strayed year old steers. See John Redding. New 1930 Chevrolet runabout truck for sale. R. H. Miller, examiner in charge, Algona State Bank. For sale, two Roan Shorthorn Bulls, two Black Angus Bulls, and Holstein Bull, Ron Brothers, Lone Rock. For rent, house, one block south Maple Park, light, water, garage, $15 a month, Andrew Peterson. For sale, 18-month-old Poland China boar, C.A. Winters type, Mrs. Sarah Trenery, six miles northeast of Bancroft. For sale, Whippet Coach, cheap, good shape, hot water heater, good tires, 1931 license paid, inquire A&P store manager. 16 big purebred Plymouth Rock Cockerels, best quality, fine looking, at $1.50 each if taken from this ad. Robert Eichenberger. Dr. Erickson produced a wonderful new eczema remedy that successfully treated over 2,004 months. We guarantee it. K.D. James. For sale. 10 Duroc Boars, purebred, easy feeding type, dark cherry red, no necro and immune at $15 to $23, AC Carlisle, three quarter mile east of Whittemore. Midwinter term opens at Hamilton College, Mason City, Monday, January 5th. New classes in college accounting, business administration, and others of college grade. Lost. Two Kodak films between my home on South Jones Street and Peterson Studio. Film showed Lady at Spinning Wheel. Finder, please notify Alice Payne. Stutter Stock Farm offers, at this time, several Scotch Shorthorn Bowls ready for service. Rones and Rods, a few good Duroc and Berkshire boars left, 
and Shropshire Rams. Prices reasonable. Ben G. Stutter, Wesley. If you have something to buy or sell or exchange, write for our special low classified advertising rates and list of the leading county weeklies of Iowa. Iowa Newspaper Incorporated, 214 Royal Union Building, Des Moines, Iowa. Dr. J.N.O.D. Reeling, Chiropractic, uh, Mason City, who has been sick for some time, is improving nicely and has opened up his office again, having secured a very able assistant. Room 316, First National Bank Building. Money loaned on good grade, milch cows. If you are planning on buying more milch cows or want a loan on the cows you already own, it will pay you to see us. Loans made the same day received. Reasonable rates, long time to pay off. C.R. Labar, Algona, Iowa. First door north of Iowa State Bank. That's it for January 1st on Iowa's Newsworthy Past. Thanks for tuning in.